to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. Today we will be straying a little bit away from the livestock world, but have landed on a very important industry here in Nova Scotia. We will be joined by Peter Burgess, Peter Swinkles, and Peter Van Dyke to discuss the blueberry industry. Peter Burgess is Executive Director of the Wild Blueberry Producers Association of Nova Scotia and has been in that role since May 2020. Previously, he was an extension specialist with Prenia for more than 18 years and spent the majority of his time as the wild blueberry specialist. Peter grew up on a wild blueberry farm and completed his Master's of Science at the Nova Scotia Agricultural College in 2002, looking at vegetation management and wild blueberries. Peter Swinkles has been an engineer at Doug Bragg Enterprises Limited since 2004. One of his main responsibilities is to lead the research and development program. He previously worked with the Nova Scotia Department of Agriculture and Farm Mechanization Development, where he frequently worked with Doug Bragg Enterprises in development and promotion of blueberry production mechanization. Peter Van Dyke is the owner of Van Dyke's by Nature, a Nova Scotia family farm which produces blueberries and blueberry products such as blueberry juice, powdered blueberries, as well as dried, chewy, and crunchy blueberries. So thanks to all three Peters for being with us today. Uh, it's great to have you guys that have been around the blueberry industry for a very long time and are, are very knowledgeable. Maybe Peter Burgess, I'll start with you. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what the blueberry industry looks like in Nova Scotia as far as uh, number of producers, production, and, and maybe farm gate value? Sure. So we've got approximately a thousand growers in Nova Scotia, and it's a, it's a bit of a moving target on the number of growers we have right now, but we're managing about 40,000 acres. Some of those acres have been left idle over the last few years, but you know, approximately 40,000 acres in Nova Scotia. And given the nature of our crop, we're only picking half of those acres each year. So the last couple of years aside, you know, our average production is close to 50 million pounds. Our average price uh, over the last 10 years is mid 50 cents a pound. So when you start doing that math, we're, we're looking at about uh, $25 million farm gate revenue. And then of course, once that gets into processing, that escalates a significant amount of dollars that go into the Nova Scotia economy from our industry. Yeah, for sure. I was just doing a little bit of math here this morning and uh, 2019 Stats Canada says the industry is worth $23 million. So I think that makes sense. And uh, I think the thing that always comes back to me is how much the blueberry industry is a cornerstone of the ag industry here in Nova Scotia. Blueberries account for about 4% of all farm gate revenue in the province. But then when you exclude supply management, it actually doubles its percentage. So a very important crop historically here in Nova Scotia, for sure. For those folks who aren't as familiar with blueberries, uh, especially wild blueberries, as it's only a a very small portion of the world that produces this type of berry. Can you give us a little bit about what the berry is and you know the production cycle and, and what it actually looks like? Maybe Peter Van Dyke will we'll go to you for that. Well, the production cycle, as Peter Burgess said, it's a two-year cycle. 
these plants grow naturally over all of Atlantic Canada, Quebec, and the eastern states. And they've been here for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as long as we treat them nicely, they'll spread in across our fields. And then with minimal inputs, we can uh, have a nice full field of vine. And usually the vine is anywhere from, I would say, 8 inches to 12 inches tall. And uh, we do, I would say, 99% mechanical harvesting now. So the fields have to be leveled off and the rocks removed. And we do weed control, try to limit that, again, the inputs as much as we can. But to, to, there's different things we can do to try to limit some of the weed competition. The blueberry plant loves to have a, an acidic soil which helps us a little bit with some weed competition because most weeds would like a little less of acidity. So we can manipulate that a little bit. But like I say, the crops are, they're a natural plant. We don't plant them. We do crop every second year. So the year after our crop comes off that fall, we mow them off. There is still a few growers that uh, do burn the crops off, which helps with somewhat some weed control, maybe insect control, maybe a little disease control to have a a hot fire on them once in a while. But for the most part, most of that is done with a flail mower now. So then the next year you go into what we call the sprout year. And in that year is the year that most will do a little fertilizing, some weed control. And then you're bringing your crop along. That's the year that your plants actually grow the fruit bud. And the fruit set will start in August and go into the fall. And so as long as you have a nice, healthy plant, that's kind of basing your crop for the following year. And you can somewhat get a prediction already that time of year of what things look like next year and which helps kind of making decisions over the winter of the inputs you're going to need in the spring, whether it be for pollination and and any other inputs that you need to do early spring. Not that you should be counting your blueberries that far ahead, but it does help give you a little bit of a prediction. Yeah, no, I I think that's great. And I think it leads me to a good question maybe for for Peter Swinkles and the rest of us to discuss. You know, I I remember as a a preteen and early teenager harvesting blueberries, and it was the second most hated job I think I had as a youth right behind picking strawberries. Peter Van Dyke, you said we we harvest a lot mechanically now, which wasn't always the case and has maybe really changed over the last 20 years. Peter Swinkles, I, I know you've spent uh, most of your career in blueberry harvesting and engineering. Can you talk a little bit about how harvesting of blueberries has changed and uh, what effects that's maybe had on quality of berries and, and getting the processors in a little bit better shape? Yeah, thank you very much, Brad, and I'd be pleased to make a few comments on, on blueberry harvesting. It's hard to believe that 30 years ago, when I was working for the Department of Agriculture, I was trying to write reports and being very optimistic. If we could get this mechanization down to a, a science, that there was the option maybe that we could harvest up to 20% of our berries mechanically. So in 1984, we uh, patented the first mechanical a blueberry harvester and between now and then we've been able to as Peter Van Dyke said uh, 99% of our blueberries or wild blueberries in the province is being uh, mechanically harvested so uh, that's quite unique. The blueberry industry is unique to this region uh, the Maritimes and, and northeastern U.S. 
uh, that gives us an advantage and also uh, quite a disadvantage because uh, I can't go to Europe or Australia to look for technology. All the technology that's been developed in the bullbush blueberry industry has been basically developed in this region. So it takes a lot of R&D and, and research, uh, a lot of trial and error, but it's given us the ability to develop some very unique harvesting equipment, which now we use to harvest our crop. That never stops. Uh, we are continuing to try to improve uh, the efficiency of our harvester, uh, work closely with uh, a number of universities in the area, in particular Dalhousie, to continue to fine tune uh, our technology to be able to, to harvest uh, most of the crop. It, it's a soft fruit, so we also looked at trying to harvest it and get it to the processor in good quality. Uh, along with harvesting, uh, Peter mentioned that uh, we also have to prune our crop every other year. So we also had to develop uh, some unique uh, mowers that would work in some of the field conditions that our blueberries are, are produced in. Blueberries aren't seeded, they're natural. So the natural environment, the fields are fairly rough. We have uh, come up with uh, techniques to level them, but they're definitely not a manicured field. So our equipment has to, to work in these different types of conditions. So we've been able to uh, develop a, a very unique set of uh, technology to help produce wild blueberries. So I, I'm guessing some of the drive for mechanization is how productive the blueberry industry has gotten over the last 20 or 30 years. Peter Burgess, thank you said you're, you're producing about 50 million pounds a year. How does that compare to uh, the early 80s when a lot of harvesting was still done uh, manually? Yeah, I mean, we went through a big transition as an industry from the late 70s into the early 90s. There's several things that happened that really improved productivity. And Peter Swankles had mentioned a couple of those things. There was some significant government incentives to do land leveling. That enabled us to do more mechanical harvesting. And some of the drive for mechanical harvesting was labor shortages. If you've got 15,000 acres a year to harvest, it's tough to get that many people that are going to, like you say, Brad, to do that kind of work. So the drive for mechanical harvesting was for you know, harvest efficiency and so on. But the other thing that happened in the 70s, early 80s was some advancements in weed control. Because it is a naturally occurring plant that we don't seed in, it's just what mother nature has. We've got a lot of woody weeds that are there too. So we were able to get some technology to control some of those weeds, allow for harvesting, and on the leveled ground, really increase productivity. We've uh, more than doubled our productivity since the early 80s. For a lot of industries, whether it's livestock or, or crops or berries, um, managing those challenges seems to be the way to be more productive and ultimately more profitable. What are, what are some of the major challenges you folks have producing blueberries as far as pests? And you've mentioned weeds a couple of times. Um, weather, I, I assume, is a challenge. Um, it's a fairly short harvest window. And any comments around that? How much time do you have? Oh, I could... <laughs> <laughs> um, we like I said weeds are are one of our bigger issues because it is a perennial crop it's not a row crop it's what mother nature put down 
So we don't have some of those traditional agronomic tools like soil cultivation or crop rotation that makes weed control a little bit more challenging. But because of our two year cycle, it gives us some options there. We do have some naturally occurring insects that feed on the, the plant tissue and you know, we'll lay some eggs in the fruit that we really have to pay close attention to. And then there's some other leaf diseases and fruit diseases that we need to look at as well. But I'll let the other Peters talk a little bit about this more, but more and more, it feels like we're able to handle the biotic uh, stresses of the crop. It's looking like more the moisture and sporadic frost events that are happening are becoming more the limiting factor of our productivity. We've seen that over the last several years where uh, last year we had significant drought, particularly in Cumberland County. The year before we had winter injury, an open winter, very cold. We had a lot of damage on our, on our stems. And then 2018 was of course the major frost event. And we had a significant frost this year as well, but we were lucky enough that most of our crop was beyond flower stage when that hit. But it feels like those more climatic stresses are becoming more problematic. So I would agree with Peter Burgess on that. The issues of the weeds and insects and diseases are all exaggerated by the weather events that we're having now, which are more extremes one way or the other. And they're just not only extremes, but different than what we were used to. And I think somewhat different than what the blueberry crop was used to years ago. Even Nova Scotia had a big winter, would have lots of snow, lots of protection for your plants. Your insects and your weeds all cycled a little different than what they're doing now. So you get some early springs because we don't have a good winter. Plants will start and then you'll get a cold snap or so on. I personally see weather events, environmental changes being one of the biggest issues that we need to stay on top of. And uh, I do believe that our industry is uh, looking at that very aggressively already. So I believe that's the right direction to go because that'll help us lead on weed control, disease control, insect control, because I think that environment is going to affect that. So we need to know kind of how we can mitigate these changes. They're coming. We're not going to stop them. We just need to know that they're coming and have a plan of how we're going to pay better attention to them, I think, in the future. And the other thing there is that it's an 18-month crop, as Peter Burgess mentioned. It, you know, it's a biannual crop, so we have uh, 18 months to watch and guard these crops as we go. Uh, whereas if you had a corn crop, you put it in the spring and harvest it in the fall. So we have bigger challenges that we have to fight weather a longer, for a longer period of time. In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia cattle producers are holding two virtual preconditioning services workshops for producers to learn about this on-farm project. Register for either the August 3rd or August 10th option at nscattle.ca. Perennia's virtual field days are occurring weekly through August with a new topic each session. For additional information or to register, please visit perennia.ca forward slash learning forward slash online. Upcoming Feeder sales at Atlantic Stockyards, the regular feeder sale and normal sale will happen on August 19th. For feeder sales separate from regular sales, they will resume on September 7th, occurring every second Tuesday through the fall. Please check AtlanticStockyards.com for the full schedule and booking information. 
There are now many Nova Scotia programs open for the 2021-2022 year, such as the Cattle and Sheep Industry Development Program and Weather Station Assistance Program. For a full list, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. You know, climate adaptation is something I think a lot of industries are, are really focusing on now. And it's, it's like you say, it's, it's almost like our entire season schedule is shifted by about four to five weeks. The weather we used to get in December now comes in January and so on. And then it's really those events, like uh, you say, Peter Burgess, that are, are really challenging. Uh, whether it's a severe rain or frost, Look at, looking back to the summer of 2020, it was extremely dry here in, in eastern Canada uh, and big challenges as well. So as far as those weather-related things, you know, are some weather challenges more timely? You know, you, you reference the frost around bud set and, and flowering. Um, what about as you get further on in the season, how do the plants or how does the crop respond to certain types of uh, severe weather events? The beauty of our crop is it is a very resilient plant because it's been here for thousands of years and it's significant root systems on it. It constantly surprised me how well it can respond to severe events. But like with any plant, there's natural tipping points. So last year we saw, you know, drought stress in June, which is unusual for Nova Scotia where it's, you know, May is normally very wet and cool, and we were seeing drought stress in, in June. Water resources were down, and, and we had really good-looking crops really up until a week and a half before harvest. Exceptional-looking crops, but they were at such water deficit, it's like the crop dropped off the cliff, and the berries started shriveling up, and day after day, the, the yield potential went down in some of these fields. So, if we had gotten a half inch of rain the first of August in some of these fields, it would have meant literally a million dollar rain. So it's it can be quite resilient, but you know you get to a point where there's no turning back. Yes, in in probably forty five plus years of my involvement in growing wild blueberries, I've seen dry summers before, and it had an effect on the crop, whether it be weight wise, berry size, so on, but. 2020 is the first year that I've actually seen, and as Peter Burgess said, the last week, maybe week and a half before harvest, I've seen the crop disappear completely. And um, I've never seen that before, hope to never see it again, but I'm just a little concerned that, you know, these are some things that are probably not going to take another 45 or 50 years to come. I think there may be a little more common. so. I think it's things we have to look at. Blueberries are a hard one to irrigate for most of the thousand growers because we have a lot of fields in a lot of locations, a lot of smaller fields. There are some of the large growers that would have, you know, a hundred acre plus field, but in most cases that's not the case for a blueberry grower. So if we're looking at irrigation, which we always thought didn't pay in the past. If you looked over a 10-year period, you might only get to use it once or you might get to use it, but it might only be an advantage. I think now, if you look at the last five, I think it would have been an advantage at least three out of the last five. So we have to pay attention to that and, and look at innovative ways of maybe or the way we can water several fields, move around and have a little different irrigation system if that's what we're going to have to look at. But the blueberry's resilient, the growers are resilient, and between the two of them, we'll have to figure it out. 
Yeah, good point. I, I was actually sitting here listening to the first part of Peter Burge's question and thinking that a lot of other crops have gone to irrigation type systems and you know how challenging it would be because a lot of these fields are fairly remote. Uh, they are on a more natural landscape um, that's not cultivated and just some of the challenges of even piping and getting water to flow properly, especially in kind of the Collingwood Hills of, of Nova Scotia, like everything's uphill, downhill, probably not quite as easy as as if you were on the valley floor for sure you know so although it's a really good tool it's not maybe as implementable as it would be in in other types of cropping systems and other unique challenges of you know like you said Cobbequid mountains there might only be six inches of topsoil and then you have bedrock so you know the options of putting in-ground irrigation in probably not feasible on some of that ground now we have some ground that you can actually do that quite well but we're not talking about you know, irrigating 40,000 acres. For sure. Maybe switching a little bit over from the production side to more the product and development side. I think blueberries are quite versatile. What are, what are some of the main things that we see uh, outside of kind of the fresh and, and frozen blueberry market? And, and how have some of that product development changed over the last 15, 20 years? Well, I know from personal experience where, I mean, we've been in the value add side of the wild blueberry industry from well we're probably pushing 30 years of that now and I guess when we started we've been growing for 50 years but we did do some fresh pack for quite a few years and then the fresh pack kind of turned into our the development of our pure wild blueberry juice and that's probably been on the market for 25 plus years now and recently we've started to dry blueberries we're drying right from frozen product. So we have two or three different products there, a chewy one, a crunchy one, and a powder that we make. And uh, it's new. I mean, dried product's been around for a while, but we're a different process. And it's a market that we're just developing. The juice, like I say, we've been doing it for probably 25 to 30 years, and it's really just taking off now. It's always been a steady market, but not huge. So hopefully our dry side won't take 30 years, but blueberries are a healthy product, I think. People are realizing that the demand is probably the highest it's ever been. I think Peter Burge can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's sales for over 300 million pounds now, probably some of the strongest sales we've ever seen. And that's still growing and we still need to do lots of work on marketing to keep that and keep up with our production. But I think there's huge potential for more value added products to give more choices to the consumer for others than just frozen or fresh berries. We see it in a lot of other countries that we sell to. I think in Japan, they have over a hundred products that they have wild blueberries in. I don't think we could say that in Canada. So I think if you give a consumer more options to buy wild blueberries and more products, I think we'll see our sales go even higher. You know, I think there's all kinds of room. There's always challenges to developing other products, but I think from what I see and what I hear, even people wanting to buy our dried products to put in new products like protein bars and even buying dried blueberry products, putting it in dog food. I mean, pet food industry is huge and they're recognizing blueberries and blueberry products as being something that they want to have in their food because I think it sells more. And so as long as we keep that strong, healthy name, I think there's no end to the products we can keep developing with blueberries. 
So we talked a little bit about the innovation and new technologies on the harvesting side and the farming side. Have we seen any major innovations or processing processes, I guess, um, that have really changed uh, the development of some of those products? Yeah, maybe I can give a little bit background to your listeners a little bit too, because we're a bit of a unique industry in that, yes, we're growing a fruit, but most of our growers aren't selling directly to a consumer or roadside stand or, you know, that sort of a production. Our industry was really built on picking the fruit and shipping it to a processor. So obviously biggest processor just down the road in Oxford, Oxford Frozen Foods, they were you know, important part of our industry and the growth of our industry. So they take that fruit and process it and they've developed their, their processes and how they clean it and, you know, really fine tune the quality and all the processors do give very specific quality to their end customers all around the world. So, you know, probably 90% of the berries that we pick in Nova Scotia go to a processor that's cleaned and then what we call IQF or individually quick frozen and then packaged into 30 pound boxes and shipped to Europe, the United States, Asia, 30 some countries around the world. And those customers will further take that product and add it into yogurt or in glass jar and so on. Over the last couple of years and sort of a spinoff of COVID actually, we've really seen an expansion of the retail bag domestically and in, in the United States where those, those frozen berries are going in the grocery store, not further value added, they're just put in those freezer packs. And rather than going to Tim Hortons in the morning where people are staying at home, they're making their smoothies with wild blueberries. Yeah, so that, that's a really good point. And, you know, I think in March and April last year, I well, the whole world, but especially the ag world was really concerned. There were interruptions in processing, interruptions in getting products to market. Uh, we saw some wild things happen uh, with commodity pricing and retail prices. And um, like you say, Peter, people really shifted away from the restaurant side and went back to making things at home. And a lot of, especially meat processors that we work with, uh, really had to change the way that they process the product to respond to that. And it, uh, it caused a, f- a few hiccups along the way. So it, it's really nice to hear that uh, the blueberry industry was able to make that quick pivot to be able to get those products into grocers to respond to that market change. One of the things we've been talking about a couple of times, you've referenced a a couple of times is uh, the importance of the export industry or the export side of the the industry. So my notes here show that in 2019, Nova Scotia exported about $104 million worth of blueberry products outside of Canada, making it by far uh, actually about five times bigger than any other egg export here in Nova Scotia. So obviously a very important part any comments on how that has evolved over time and, and maybe shifting markets or, or new markets that have been really important to the industry? Yeah, I mean, a lot of work was done, again, in the 70s and early 80s to really expand those export markets. As yields were starting to increase, we needed to find new markets. And a lot of work was done because it is a unique product to this part of the world. There was a lot of work done to trying to get people in other corners of the world, understanding what wild blueberries are, you know, work on differentiation between uh, high bush and wild and the uniqueness of our crop, you know, the genetic variability in the field and, you know, the naturally occurring plant and so on. And, you know, some unique flavor profiles and so on. So, you know, there's a lot of work that's been invested in the health research, 
And I think that's been one of the major things that's really pushed sales and, and marketing around the world is people are really understand now that blueberries and yes, wild blueberries are a healthy product and they're looked for as a part of healthy diet. So I think that's really one of the things that's driven sales. So interesting point you just brought up there, and that's the emergence of the high bush blueberry in the market over the last 10 or 12 years. I don't think there's a lot of high bush blueberry production here uh, in Nova Scotia, although my understanding is that it's growing. So how has that really affected the more natural wild blueberry, both in the marketing and, and market penetration side of it? So high bush blueberry really kind of dwarfs our industry on a couple of different ways. Uh, it's grown every corner of the world, you can buy high bush blueberry all year round. So, you know, there's large acreages in Chile and Peru and Argentina. BC has massive production. It's grown in China. It's grown in Australia. It's grown in Eastern Europe. So I don't have the exact stats uh, with me right now, but if on a good year, we're producing 350 million pounds of wild blueberries, they're producing over a billion pounds. Now, a good chunk of that industry is sold on the fresh market. So you know, you see those clam shells in the, in the store that, you know, people are picking up with their groceries and putting on a topper on their cereal in the morning or so or whatever. That, that's a good chunk of their market, but they do send some of their fruit into processing, which on some years can affect our price. Absolutely. Because it becomes competitive uh, with our price. That's part of the reason we've gone for the differentiation and size and how it reacts in products. So like, there are, like I say, there are some high bush in Nova Scotia and some really good growers here, but, you know, they're in the million pound production and they're almost exclusively focused on the fresh production. Here's the market report for the weekend of July 16th, 2021, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.58 per kilogram, down 3.2 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was down 3 cents from last week to $2.49 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $2.53 per kilogram, down 2 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle Atlantic beef products was 263 on the rail, constant from last week. In Ontario, live steer sold for $1.50, moving down five cents from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was $2.64, down one cent from last week. Call cattle Atlantic stockyards sold for 93 cents, up six cents from last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products was $1.62, no change from the prior week. Calls in Ontario averaged 79 cents, down 5 cents from last week, and 82 cents in Quebec, moving down 3 cents. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards to average $208, while good dairy beef cross calves averaged $270. Calves in Ontario were up 7 cents to a price of $1.39 per pound. Calves in Quebec were $1.14 a drop of 22 cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumber lamb is $12.50 per kilogram and mutton sits at $6 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $2.95 per pound at 60 pounds. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs average $3.31 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from $2.52.5 to $3.70. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they average $2.78 per pound at 73 pounds, ranging from $2.70 to 
In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average 325 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from 210 to 380. Used Atlantic stockyards ranged from 135 to $290, averaging 189. And in Quebec, use averaged $1.78 at 144 pounds and ranged from $1.25 to $2.56. Make sure you check your association websites for additional pricing information. One of the other maybe things I'd like to go back and just touch on is berry quality and, you know, getting berry grading and, and how we get quality berries into the processors. I don't know if that's a bit of a harvesting question. I don't know, Peter Swinkles, if you can selectively harvest berries, I'm assuming you can. I'm assuming the header goes over and it picks everything that's on the plant. Uh, we're not into optics yet uh, and running over fields multiple times, but how do we harvest those berries, I guess, at an optimal stage so that we're not running over fields two and three times? And, you know, how do we sort those and are we sorting them and, and how does that all kind of work? Harvesting quality berries is, is always a challenge. And I think one of the uniqueness of, of the challenge is the number of varieties of berries that are in the field. So they come on at, at different times. Some of the research work that has been done sort of shows that there is a three or four day window of optimum harvesting. And if you move two or three days on either side of that, you know, you've got a week to 10 days where ideally you should be harvesting your crop. It's really hard to harvest all our crop in, in that short a window. So we, we're always harvesting uh, some crops too early where there's still a variety of, of green berries in and then we're on the other end of the scale where we're harvesting on the 18th or 19th day where some of the berries uh, have been overripe and uh, it, it's a real challenge to harvest that crop still hold or maintain that quality of some of the softer fruit at the end of the season, uh, be able to put it into a box and get it to the processor in ideal condition so that uh, they continue uh, working with, with the quality of fruit that they need. So fruit quality uh, with any agriculture crop is always concerned that the best quality is the day it's on the vine. And uh, the sooner you can get it off the vine in the ideal conditions and an ideal picking time and, and to the processor, that's our challenge. Uh, we've done a number of things. We've, we've mechanized some of our handling techniques of the product as it comes off the harvester, uh, using uh, farm equipment loaders to, to load trucks, uh, try to get the trucks loaded that day and, and into the processing plant. And I think the goal of the industry is that within 12 hours of harvesting, we definitely would like to have the, the fruit at the processing plant. And uh, we have to continue working at trying to mechanize that process and make it as uh, efficiently as, as possible. And those are definitely some of the challenges that DBE as a manufacturer of equipment for the industry uh, would, would have. Yeah, I think one of the advantages we have with a single pass harvest you know, a lot of other fruit worry about shelf life. You know, they, they're looking at having that fruit of good quality on the shelf a week and two weeks after picking. The reality with our fruit is it's cleaned and frozen within 24 hours in an ideal world. And what that does is it maintains quality. You don't have those fruit spoilage organisms and it maintains that freshness, really. The nutritional value of that fruit is maintained and can be held for two years. 
and it becomes a much more versatile fruit that way. And there's some really cool technology that's done in the processors and each processor has, has their own sort of uh, unique technology that they've implemented, but you know, laser sorters and uh, different technology to, to pick out you know, specific sizes of fruit and they can exclude certain you know, blemishes on the fruit with sort of that laser technology and optical technology at the, at the processor. So the quality is, is very consistent uh, when it comes out the other end. And we do have a, a growing fresh industry. It's just, it's a challenging industry to go with a lot of volume, but there are several fresh pack operations around that are selling a lot of fruit to, uh, you know, your, your grocery stores and farm markets and direct farm gate too. One of the things uh, we, we've talked about is the, the processing industry. You know, we, I think we all know Oxford is probably the biggest, yeah, is the biggest blueberry harvester around. Are, are we seeing more businesses or farms get into the processing side? I, I know, Peter, you just mentioned the fresh pack. Uh, my favorite call I get every September is when uh, a producer I know from the Muscadabit Valley calls and says, hey, I'm coming to town next week with fresh berries. Is there an order that uh, you guys want to put in for the office? So are we seeing more of that? Um, you know, there has been a little bit bigger push for local, more farm direct sales. Is that impacting the industry very much like it is in other commodities? There is certainly a growth potential there. And there's we're actually doing a fairly large project right now looking at, you know, that potential. We've got advantages and some challenges because of our unique crop. Peter Swinkles had mentioned because it's a naturally occurring crop, we don't plant it. There's a lot of biodiversity with a lot of different plants that mature at different times. So, and he mentioned about that short optimal window for picking. Uh, we're looking at ways from a fresh pack standpoint to minimize damage to the fruit and optimize fruit quality because that's, that's really critical if you're trying to sell fresh to a farm market because logistically going out and hand harvesting wild blueberries, any kind of volume just isn't there. <laughs> so we need to do it in a mechanical way that minimizes any kind of damage to extend shelf life. So that's some work that we're doing uh, right now to try and open that window for, for more operations. Maybe just sticking to the harvesting side here a little bit, something that just popped into my head is we do have 40,000 acres in to harvest. You know, how does that get done? Does, do all thousand blueberry producers have their own harvester? Uh, is there a fleet of harvesters that rolls around? Yeah, just logistics. How do we how do we make this happen if we're trying to get everything harvested in such a short period of time over so many acres over a fairly big geography as well? That's a good question. And you know, there's a variety of methods of harvesting. Uh, we have contractors that own up to 18, 20 harvester heads that would start harvesting in May. Uh, harvest down there for a week to 10 days and then move into the more central Nova Scotia where the season is just getting started and end up uh, moving over to PEI to, to finish the harvest. Uh, there's also uh, farm operations that you know have their own uh, harvester that harvest their, their own crops and, and stick to that small window that they have and, and try to harvest their crop in, in the two-week window that they need. And like any farm operation, uh, harvesting is usually one of the biggest expense in harvesting a, a crop. And it's a very, 
unique piece of equipment. It's built and, and designed in, in the Maritimes. Uh, so there's there's lots of challenges uh, with harvesting. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, it goes back to actually, I think, Peter, one of your very first comments you made is the, the fact that the crop's very specific to this part of the world and the fact that we have folks uh, like the three of you in the industry that have, have done so much work on the, the harvesting side, the production side, the processing and marketing side, um, that we've really developed our, our own expertise that is, you know, is world leading. And I, I think that uh, goes out to folks like you that have put in, you know, 20, 30 years in the industry and the folks before you, it's, it's really quite incredible um, that we don't have to seek expertise for many of the, the things uh, from Europe, like we would in other commodities. As we're getting ready to close up here, like, what does the future of the blueberry industry look like here in Nova Scotia? Production, marketing, uh, what are the, the next new things you guys are looking to push forward? Yeah, so we've just come out of a, a challenging five to six year period. Started boat in 2014, where we had three really big crops in a row. A significant amount of overproduction. We had growing demand, but we had a lot of production three years in a row. So that resulted in some a downturn in our in our farm gate price, and then we had a couple of years of significant environmental challenges that sort of reduced our yields as well. So right now we're coming out of a, a downturn, and we've got really healthy farm gate price. And at least in Nova Scotia this year, we're looking at a pretty decent looking crop. So there's an opportunity now for growers to, to actually have some cash and potentially reinvest in their businesses. There's certainly consolidation happening now. And we see that you know across commodities, we're not alone in that, but uh, we're seeing some consolidation. We're seeing some people looking at innovating ways to increase productivity, looking at potentially other revenue streams to kind of manage the, how do I say this, roller coaster ride of price that we've been on. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, people are looking at innovative ways to, because it, it's a great lifestyle. It's a great industry to be in. And we're, we're trying to find ways to, to keep it that way. Yeah. So uh, other two, Peters, I'm not sure if you have any uh, closing comments on kind of your parts of the industry of what it looks like going forward, as far as, you know, what the future of, technology looks like or what the future of marketing looks like be happy to to hear those in our closings as well i, I think it, it's an exciting time to to be in the wild blueberry industry uh, especially from a technology point of view there's a lot of work being done in precision agriculture precision agriculture lends itself very well to our wild blueberry industry because of the uniqueness of the industry and i'm just amazed at where we can be and, and trying to look into my looking glasses where we're going to even be in the next four or five years with autonomous vehicles, you know, some of the GPS systems, the precision agriculture that, that we're working with. So I, I'm really, uh, really excited about it. Uh, I, I believe from a manufacturing point of view, our biggest challenge in our in industry is the wild variation in production and price. It's really hard uh, for an industry to work in the blueberry industry where, where we have uh, price fluctuations in our industry of up to 300% in two or three years. It's hard to, to weather those bumps, if I'm allowed to, to put it that way, because there's years that we have, uh, you know, uh, as we have now, we, we've had, we're looking at a real good year, price is strong, you know, there's demand for our equipment. We've just come through a three-year period where it's been very quiet 
and uh, it's challenging to have the rest of the industry, like bankers and stuff, support you as you go through this. I agree with some of the things that were said there. Exciting industry, lots of exciting times coming. We've faced our challenges. We have over the last 50 years. We've come through them. Uh, as Peter was speaking of technology, I think some of these challenges that are we've been through, we'll see again. Technology will help us. We just have to face them positive, try to use every tool that we have. There'll be ups and downs again. But on my end, I would say one of the things that we have to keep investing in is marketing. If we have a strong market, there's going to be room for strong production. Uh, you can't really have one without the other. So, you know, the only best opportunity to get a price is if somebody wants what you're growing. So as long as those processors have an in market with, you know, a fair decent return, that's the way the grower is going to get some return. So uh, to keep investing in marketing, I think is a is a key thing that the industry has to do. And you know, just like the rest of the industry, that'll have to change with times. It's going through some changes now, but I mean, that's all good. We just, we have to be open to change. The blueberry industry is no different. Like Peter Burgess said, the changes that had happened in a 20 year period was phenomenal. And, and maybe we'll have to make those changes that drastic again in the next 20. But I just think that if we approach that positively with taking advantage of all the new technologies and the in equipment and weather monitoring and use everything to our advantage, I think that uh, we'll do quite well. And so it's an exciting industry to be in and has great future ahead. Yeah. So for our listeners, you heard it here first. It's, it's a great industry. It's a very important uh, industry to the Nova Scotia agricultural industry overall. It sounds like the future is bright. You know, if I, I can see anything that the leadership in the industry will, will steer it in the right direction. Uh, my limited knowledge and connection with the industry has told me that over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, with that, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule today to speak with me. Uh, and in closing, just wondering if uh, our listeners are looking to learn a little bit more about the blueberry industry in Nova Scotia, uh, what's the best way to do that? There's lots of great websites. Our WB Pans website, NovaScotiaWildBlueberries.com, has a lot of background information and we'll send you to links of our industry partners, some of our research partners at Dal AC, which we should mention there have been a great support of our industry and really helped us grow but also to link you to uh, Wabana, which has great health information as well on the fruit. So yeah, NovaScotiaWildBlueberries.com. Excellent. Thanks very much, Shelman. I appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes. <laughs>